Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Pushkin. Evelyn Hamilton is dining at Maison Lyons. Electric lights bathe the vast modern restaurant in a gentle glow. She is unaccompanied, and it's late. Reserved and introverted, Evelyn spends most of her nights alone. She prefers it this way, for others can interpret her quiet nature as surly and rude. This has caused her no end of problems particularly when her male employers have taken against her manner. After a busy evening, which included a tetchy exchange with a hotel worker over a room, Evelyn is perhaps, just now, especially appreciative of this window of solitude. Her gold wristwatch shows that it's almost midnight, so she readies herself to leave. She has a train to catch first thing in the morning to start a new job in the distant city of Grimsby. But she will never make that train. For donning her coat and setting out into the black February night, Evelyn Hamilton will not even make it back safe to her night's lodgings. This is the seldom-told story of women in World War II who were killed not by the enemy but by husbands, lovers and strangers wearing the uniform of their own side. It's also the tale of a particular string of murder victims that history has swept from view. I'm Hallie Rubenhold. And I'm Alice Fines. And you're listening to Bad Women, The Blackout Ripper.
It's 1901, and Britain is burying its queen. Victoria has sat on the throne for 63 years, reigning over 400 million subjects and an empire that covered a quarter of the globe. As an empress at the head of a vast conquering army, she is instructed that her funeral be a full military affair. And so, her coffin is conveyed by gun carriage, accompanied by her admirals and generals in their great plumed hats. Thousands of ordinary people line the processional route, hoping to catch a final glimpse of the only sovereign most of them have ever known. Victoria, whose reign exalted the moral perfection of the traditional family, is interred next to her beloved and long-dead husband, Prince Albert. She wore the austere black of widow's weeds for 40 long years, but she is buried in a white gown and her wedding veil. The Victorian era is over, and an empire on which the sun never set is about to begin its slow decline. That spring, against a backdrop of national mourning, Evelyn Margaret Hamilton was born in England's northern coal mining country. A wave of social reform has been sweeping Britain. Recent improvements had been made in the areas of social housing, education provision and welfare for workers. But there was still much to be done, particularly to help women. Not far from Evelyn's birthplace, a branch of the Women's Liberal Association invited their local political representative, their member of parliament, to speak. He first lamented the Queen's death and then thanked the women in attendance for... Instilling liberal principles into their families at home. He also commended the association for its work inviting women to such meetings. So that they might take an active part in what is going on in the politics of the country. Of course, that active part was somewhat limited. In 1901, none of the women in attendance could actually vote, let alone be elected themselves. But movements to gain suffrage were well underway. Selina Cooper, a textiles worker from the North, had just presented a petition to Parliament signed by 30,000 women demanding the vote. Evelyn Hamilton was born into a rapidly changing world, and her story epitomises the struggle many women face to fight for reforms that would improve their lives and allow them to tread a path beyond the realm of placid domesticity. When Evelyn was born, her parents, Robert and Mary Hamilton, were renting a room at the house of a Mexican-born tailor and his British wife in Newcastle, a city burgeoning with heavy industry. In the 1870s, the British government had imposed a legal duty on parents to ensure that their children were educated. So, unlike many of their forebears, working-class Robert and Mary would have been able to read and write. Robert, in particular, would have had some numeracy skills and drawn on these in his work as a collector for the Anglo-American Zither Company. In the late 19th century, the zither had become popular with the middle classes as a novelty parlour instrument. Vendors would even throw in lessons when they sold the harp-like device. Learnt in few minutes, promised the adverts. Customers of the Anglo-American Zither Company might buy their instruments on an instalment plan, and collectors like Robert would have visited them to take their payments until the debt was cleared. And there was good money to be made in this zither craze. 
On the streets of one genteel town, rival zither vendors even came to blows in a literal fistfight over this lucrative trade. The police had to intervene. They grappled together and both fell to the ground. They were both bleeding from the nose and mouth. But eventually, public interest in the zither waned, perhaps prompting Robert to leave Newcastle. By the time a second daughter, Edith, was born, they had moved to the nearby village of Wrighton, where willow trees bend to brush the waters of the River Tyne. Wrighton relied on agriculture and coal mining. There's the signal. And here, the seller of zithers became a more prosaic colliery labourer, doing unskilled work at one of the local mines. That's all of it. He eventually became a banksman. In charge of loading and unloading coal and workers right. from the mineshaft elevator. That's everyone. Going down. More Hamilton children arrived, and their mother Mary, for whom no occupation is recorded on the census, likely stayed at home to raise them. Evelyn was the oldest of three brothers and four sisters, and the family lived in a small, two-roomed cottage. One room would probably have been a kitchen and living space, and the other, a shared bedroom. The Hamiltons were a typical working-class family. They were far from affluent and they lived in cramped quarters, but they wouldn't have been pitied or considered to be extremely poor. And the tragedies that befell the family wouldn't have seemed unusual to their peers either. When Evelyn was seven, her little brother caught scarlet fever, a bacterial illness that produces a distinctive pink-red rash. Although there was some understanding about how the disease spread and about just how susceptible infants and small children were to it, in the days before antibiotics, it could still be a death sentence. The boy passed away with his father at his side. Scarlet fever outbreaks returned without respite, and the illness then claimed the life of five-year-old Edith. In 1911, Robert Hamilton was asked to fill out the census form and name all his children. Heartbreakingly, he wrote first the name of his dead daughter Edith. Then he realised his mistake and crossed it out. The death of children, though tragic, was an ordinary part of working-class life. Even so, sorrow must have pierced Robert's heart as his pen struck out young Edith's name. Another son would later die of diphtheria and heart failure in the same infectious diseases hospital where Edith had perished. And cruel fate had not yet finished with the Hamilton family. Playing with other children on the banks of the River Tyne, Evelyn's four-year-old brother John slipped into the water. A passerby attempted to resuscitate the child, but to no avail. And so, in just a few short years, Evelyn lost four younger siblings. The family home would surely have been an emptier, quieter and sadder place, haunted by these deaths. Tiny Wrighton cricket team is thrashing the county professionals. Against the odds, in the high summer sun, the men of Evelyn Hamilton's village are humbling the visiting side. This sensational performance would have been a source of huge excitement. And 13-year-old Evelyn may well have been on hand to cheer the victors on. It is July 1914, and this peaceful village idyll is about to be shattered. 
Soon, these players may well be swapping their cricket whites for army khaki, some never to return to the pitch. In one short week, the threatening war clouds have settled down over Europe and the long ridiculed German menace has become a reality. The Kaiser's troops are at war with England, Russia and France. At 40, Robert Hamilton was at the upper age limit to fight, but he appears not to have volunteered for combat. Instead, he became a munitions worker, helping to produce the guns, bullets and bombs needed at the front. Still, teenage Evelyn would have watched as the young men of the village and those who had worked in the pits with her father register their names in droves for the local battalions. They were dispatched to the trenches of France and Flanders, to the horrors of war and to death. The dangers and hardships of war weren't entirely absent from the home front. German airships, the dreaded Zeppelins, were sent on bombing raids against civilian targets. One cruised over Evelyn's community in 1915. Those on the ground switched off all the lights, halted all the trams and trains, and held their breath until the raider floated away again. The war altered the worlds of the women left behind in other profound ways too. Their working lives changed as they took on new roles on farms and in factories. At home, food shortages placed additional strain on families whose main earners had gone away to war. Survival became a struggle for many. State pensions for women widowed by the war were pitiful at just five shillings per week in 1914. This was far less than the amount needed to provide proper nutrition to families with children. Sylvia Pankhurst, a suffragette and socialist, observed scorchingly that in Newcastle, close to the Hamilton's home, soldiers' wives were given food tickets instead of the money due to them and were permitted to obtain household commodities only from a prescribed list which comprised the cheap, inferior qualities of food. Evelyn would no doubt have witnessed such struggles in her community. She would also have followed the growing women's suffrage movement, itself fueled by aspirations to bring about the kind of social changes that a male-dominated parliament was ignoring and alleviate women's hardship and suffering. As the guns fell silent, women were finally granted the vote. But 17-year-old Evelyn wouldn't yet benefit. The reform came with an age restriction. Women had to be 30 or over. And a property qualification. Women voters had to be registered to a home of certain value. Full suffrage was still some years away. Clever and hard-working, Evelyn was studying chemistry at Skerries College in Newcastle a technical training school. According to Pat Thane, visiting professor of history at Birkbeck, University of London, Robert and Mary would likely have supported their daughter's educational aspirations. For the tendency for young men to emigrate to places like Australia, Canada or New Zealand had skewed the marriage market. Families were quite often quite keen to encourage education for their daughters because it wasn't obvious they'd be able to get married because women were a majority of the population and quite a lot of them couldn't marry. And unless they came from quite a well-off family that could be sure it could support them, then they needed to be sufficiently educated to get a job that would enable them to support themselves. Aside from voting reform, 
New legislation had just given women access to a greater number of professional jobs. They were still paid less than men and they had fewer opportunities for promotion, but they could now become lawyers or go into architecture or accountancy. Evelyn was the child of a coal mine worker, but education and hard work appeared to have enabled her to leapfrog into a higher social class, and she now embarked on her chosen career, pharmacy. This was a respected and fulfilling profession, but it would also prove to be a tricky and sometimes solitary path for Evelyn. As a woman entering a man's profession, Evelyn would have been expected to prioritise the comfort of her male colleagues and managers, to flatter their feelings and egos, to mould herself to their whims and ways. But Evelyn was cut from very different cloth, and instead she clashed with her employers. Their gripes and groans about the independent and implacable woman in their midst would dog her career, jeopardising everything that she had worked for and pushing her to the edge of breakdown. Bad Women, the Blackout Ripper, will be back in just a moment. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. 
And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle to everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Pharmacy had come a long way since the heyday of quackery and snake oil remedies. In 1841, the Pharmaceutical Society of Great Britain was established. Admission to this body was by examination. The exams were taken very seriously, and the threshold for passing them was high. Pharmacists created medicines from scratch, and they had access to deadly poisons too placing them in a position of privilege within many communities. Their work required highly specialised knowledge, and it was not to be entered into lightly. In Evelyn's day, the landscape of pharmacy was full of possibilities. One could work in a hospital, while the more entrepreneurial could open a druggist store. Crucially, it was also a respectable profession. It involved brain work, but it was genteel enough to be suitable for a woman. In fact, as Evelyn was growing up, dispensing drugs was heavily marketed to parents and guardians. One newspaper advert called it the right career for women. Training short, cost moderate, work pleasant, future assured. Throughout the 1920s, Evelyn worked part-time as a chemist's assistant at a shop in Newcastle called Milburn's, presumably to help fund her studies at a nearby college. The teaching staff said Evelyn was older than many of the other students and described her manner as distinctive. While Evelyn's sister Kathleen had entered nursing, a traditionally feminine profession, pharmacy remained a male-dominated world. Perhaps the challenge inherent in this exclusion was part of the appeal for someone as distinctive and single-minded as Evelyn there may have been another reason that Evelyn chose pharmacy over nursing, too. As caregivers, nurses would constantly interact with their patients, whereas pharmacists might spend all day in their laboratories or safely behind a large wooden counter. If they had a shop assistant, they might speak with customers only rarely. Evelyn, said to be reserved and pensive, may well have found such distance appealing. 
After passing her chemist and druggist qualifying exam, Evelyn began practicing as a pharmacist in 1928, the same year that equal voting rights were finally granted to all men and women in Britain. For the next 12 years, Evelyn managed a druggist shop, Messrs A. Wilson, in the village of Wrighton, where she'd grown up. Wilson's promised the finest quality medicines at the lowest prices and peppered local newspapers with adverts for herbal cough candy, vitamin cream and cod liver oil emulsion. Evelyn lived in a flat above the shop. She appears to have remained single, living a quiet, even reclusive existence. I do not know any of her friends, said her sister Kathleen. I've never known her to court anyone, and as far as I know, she's never had a man friend. Most other acquaintances painted a similar portrait of Evelyn. Local woman Florence Shivers described her as... A lonely girl of studious nature, who was rather unversed in sex matters and did not associate with men. The landlady of one of Evelyn's lodgings did, however, remember having occasional male visitors and Evelyn confided to one female acquaintance that she'd gone to dinner with a male colleague and even had an affair with a man in her youth. But to most observers, the pharmacist seemed contentedly free of romantic entanglements. According to historian Pat Thane, it wasn't uncommon for women at this time to embrace single life, and this wasn't just about the dearth of available men. But also, quite a lot of women chose not to marry if they didn't happen to find a man they really wanted to marry and they were in an occupation that they liked. Women were generally forced to leave their professions when they wed, irrespective of how much time they'd invested in their training. Then, as now, domesticity didn't appeal to everyone. So women who enjoyed their careers may simply have led more fulfilling lives by staying single. For her part, Evelyn appears to have been independent and conscientious. Her one hobby in life was to improve her knowledge and mind on all subjects. According to Kathleen, she was also a keen socialist and studied very deeply the problems connected to the subject. This is too broad a statement to shed real light on Evelyn's actual political views. As a socialist, Evelyn may simply have been in favour of social reform in general. She might have actively supported her local left-wing Labour Party, or she may have even drawn inspiration from the Russian Revolution of 1917 and held genuine communist sympathies. Evelyn appears, at the very least, to have been committed to helping democratise education. Her sister stated that she was a member of the Workers' Educational Association, an organisation that had been set up in 1903. It provided evening classes, enabling working-class people to further their studies. Evelyn's brand of socialism may equally have been directly connected to the awful diseases that had carried away her siblings, as well as to her daily work as a pharmacist in the depressed northeast, where unemployment rates were high, public health was poor, and doctors were expensive. She may have encountered a lot of working-class people who couldn't afford decent health care because there was no decent free health care before the National Health Service in 1948. And and left-wingers were in favour of having a free health service. If Evelyn's politics indeed included a vision of universal health care, they may also have been shaped by a further tragedy in the family. 
1931, her 24-year-old sister Mary died with epilepsy at the county mental hospital. If Mary had spent any length of time in that institution, the medical bills may well have represented a financial strain for the family, as well as an emotional burden. In 1938, on the eve of yet another world war, Robert Hamilton, a man who had seen so many of his offspring die, himself succumbed to heart failure. Evelyn was now approaching 40 and still working at the pharmacy in her home village. But then something snapped and she quit. According to Kathleen, She had mentioned for a considerable time previously that she would like a change and was in fact seeking one. Evelyn's manager told a different story, describing how her sour attitude had made her continued employment untenable. Resourceful Evelyn soon found another job as a travelling representative for a company making a tonic wine that claimed to ward off anemia, influenza and menopausal symptoms. But perhaps the social activity of meeting and greeting druggists and shop owners wore her down, because by late summer she was experiencing symptoms of depression and insomnia. Just a few weeks into her new role, Her manager, Mr Blackwell, who described Evelyn as abrupt in speech, formed the opinion that... She was mentally disarranged, and also that she was fully aware of this. Blackwell quickly terminated Evelyn's contract, paying her a month's wages in lieu of notice. Kathleen again offered a slightly different account of events. It was Evelyn who had chosen to resign and return home to Newcastle. Evelyn sought professional help from Professor Frederick Natras of the Newcastle Infirmary, a respected expert in nervous diseases. And after two months recuperating in the home of her recently widowed mother, her health was said to greatly improve, enough that she was soon packing her bags once more. This time, Evelyn was heading south, a decision possibly influenced by her father's death and its impact on the family's finances people in the South were richer than their northern counterparts, meaning greater demand for pharmacy services and probably higher wages too. This would have enabled Evelyn to better support her widowed mother. She took a post at a psychiatric hospital south of London, but here she found herself understimulated and without enough work. And so, in late 1941, she took up the post of manageress at Yardley's Pharmacy on the eastern edge of London. Evelyn appears to have seen Yardley's as little more than a temporary job, perhaps a stopgap before returning to the north. But any plans would soon be brought to an abrupt and violent end. Bad Women, the Blackout Ripper, will return shortly. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. 
Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Mm-hmm. 
Evelyn Hamilton was quiet, dignified and studious. She maintained close links to her family, but to most other people, she seemed self-sufficient, marching to the beat of her own drum. She apparently eschewed typical leisure activities like dance halls, preferring instead to take long nighttime walks in the countryside. It was this self-contained figure who arrived in the unfamiliar suburb of Hornchurch, where people's accents and outlooks were different to those back home. At Yardley's, Evelyn earned around £3 per week, roughly equivalent to a weekly wage of over $1,000 today, and she would send money to her mother. She appears to have been guarded from the word go, solitary, taciturn, even aloof. Mrs Eva Lever, who rented a room to Evelyn, found her to be withdrawn. Miss Hamilton never took me into her confidence while staying with me, and no person visited her at my house. She did not discuss matters with me. Evelyn's new colleagues also found her somewhat curious. Her manager suggested she was... A rather eccentric type of person. Always looked sort of frightened, and I should think she suffered with her nerves. He felt she seemed bored there and suggested that, apart from occasional cinema visits, she found little with which to occupy herself at Hornchurch. Bettina Gray, the 14-year-old shop assistant, agreed that Evelyn was eccentric. I was not very happy with Miss Hamilton as she was unsociable and grumbling and did not speak to me except to give orders. Frequently, after approaching customers, she would walk away without serving them. Bettina observed other oddities in Evelyn's behaviour too. I know from what she told me that she went back to the shop most nights and on one occasion she said, I suppose you wonder why I came back, but I cannot be bothered to explain now. About four times during the cold weather, she filled a hot water bottle just before I left the shop and put it on the bench. I could not say why she did. Was Evelyn sleeping in the shop? Bettina did not believe so. And Mrs Lever confirmed that the pharmacist returned to her lodgings each night. So, was Evelyn restless and agitated? Had a depression and insomnia perhaps returned? Did she go back to the empty shop rather than toss and turn in her bed? Today, we might view Evelyn's behavioural traits and mental health troubles with a little more sympathy. But in 1942, disdain, exasperation and the sharp unkindness of 14-year-old Bettina Gray would not have been uncommon responses. It's so oppressive being not typical. And, and so many of us don't feel typical. Who's applying all this pressure to be exactly like everybody else? Because everyone has a sack of rocks and everyone is a total weirdo. And yet we're like, mm, 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 you have to be like this. You have to be like this. Laura Nober is a journalist. She was recently diagnosed with autism. And her podcast, The Loudest Girl in the World, tells the story of her journey to understand what it means to be autistic. We shared Evelyn Hamilton's story with Lauren. A colleague characterized her as unsociable and grumbling and did not speak to me except orders. And I thought that is relatable. People have said that I come at them if I need something like my hair is on fire and I forget to say, hi, how are you? Are you having a good day? Great, me too. Anyway, I need this thing. You know, there's great pain in not getting the socializing or the sort of human interaction right in the way that everybody expects you to. There's a particular way that you should interact 
And if you're not doing just that thing, and particularly in the 40s, I imagine it was a million times worse there because we didn't have names for things. We had a much narrower view of how people should act. So people describing your presence as grumbling, I felt for Evelyn, I felt like, boy, it was probably a really hard road for her. Lauren says that for women, the pressure to get social interaction right can be particularly onerous. Women bear the the vast majority of the weight in social situations. Yes, the pressures put on women and girls and people who are not men to sort of smoothly and gracefully and elegantly navigate social situations, it's just oppressive. It's so oppressive. While her employers, colleagues, and even the strangers she encountered each and every day might have found Evelyn exasperating and odd, from a distance of 80 years, Lauren has huge admiration for her. This woman's life was so hard, and it's amazing that she got as far as she did It's amazing that she was able to carve out a career for herself. Being sort of reserved or pensive or solitary, those are not the qualifiers that make for a successful, like, social person in the world. Though Evelyn was by nature detached, she could also crave interaction. At times, she would speak freely with total strangers. Maud Yorksall remembered meeting the pharmacist at Yardley's for the first time. They got chatting. And she informed me that she had no friends in Hornchurch and stated she was mentally starved. I invited her to my house as she appeared lonely. Maud said that they met again on several occasions, but on the whole, Evelyn never described having any sort of social life. By 1942, Yardley's appears to have run into financial difficulties. Other druggist shops complained of the toll that limited supplies, uncertain deliveries and high wartime taxes was placing on profits. It's possible that Yardley's faced similar struggles, and in mid-January, it was decided that the Hornchurch outlet, among others, should close. Evelyn was fired, but quickly found another position in the northern port of Grimsby. She told her family of the move. This was the last they ever heard from her. February 8th, 1942, was Evelyn's final day in Hornchurch. She might have lain in bed until late that morning, as was her custom on Sundays. Reading the paper, she might have noted an impassioned opinion piece predicting social catastrophe unless women left the workplace after the war was over. And as for the ultra-emancipated young woman, the writer of this column is yet to meet one who is happy or who is capable of making any other person happy. Elsewhere, it was reported that soldier Cyril Johnson had just been charged with the murder of a young bank clerk, Maggie Smale, in her home near London. Johnson reportedly killed Maggie because he hated women. That evening, after packing, Evelyn braced herself against the bitter February weather by donning a green woolen jumper, full-length camel coat and small turban hat. The time on her gold wristwatch read 6pm as she departed Mrs Lever's house. In the evening gloom, Maud Yoxall observed Evelyn heading south towards the train station and pausing to linger a moment in the doorway of Yardley's. She carried a suitcase and a polished dark brown handbag. At 7.20pm, Evelyn met with a clerk at the station and arranged to have the bulk of her luggage collected from Mrs Lever's house and sent on to Grimsby. 
She then hopped on a train to spend the night in London. A taxi driver, Abraham Ash, collected Evelyn at the train station at around 10pm and dropped her at a hotel, where an altercation ensued. A maid answered the door and there was a slight argument. The maid saying she had no beds. The woman, who was well-spoken, although she spoke slowly, then returned to the cab, slightly perturbed, and said, ''They must put me up somewhere. I have got the money to pay for a room.'' Evelyn's train the next morning would be from King's Cross, but she told Ash that she did not wish to stay in this area. After all, it had an insalubrious and rough reputation. At her request, they drove on to the Three Arts Club, a West End establishment where she had stayed at least once before. Housed in a tall, brick-and-stucco-fronted Georgian terrace typical of the area, the club provided both short- and long-term accommodation to women only. Guests were subject to a long list of rules. For example, they couldn't introduce literature of a controversial character into the communal spaces, nor could they bring with them wine, spirits or provisions of any kind. Above all, this accommodation was intended to be a safe space for women. It was here that Evelyn chose to spend the night. The manageress who showed her to her room and gave her her key thought Evelyn seemed agitated, though she could not say why. At some point between 10.30 and 11pm, Evelyn went out into the darkened streets to find some supper. She walked for 15 minutes or so to Maison Lyons at Marble Arch on the edge of Hyde Park, a 24-hour restaurant that she could rely on to still be serving meals. Maison Lyons was consciously designed to appeal to women. Good evening, madam. Table for one. Inside, it was sleek, clean and glass-walled. It even boasted a ladies' boudoir and hairdressing salon and had been fitted with so-called sunshine lighting to create the effect of continuous indoor daylight. Maison Lyons sought to provide food fit for gourmets at popular prices. Evelyn sat alone at a table covered in starched linen. She ate some beetroot, and she may have ordered a drink for herself too. Perhaps it was here that an RAF cadet noticed her, marking her out as a solitary soul who would not be immediately missed. Perhaps he approached her and struck up an exchange. Perhaps he offered to see her safely through the dark night, back to her accommodation. Or maybe Evelyn walked home alone and heard a man's footsteps trailing her. Her route back to her lodgings would have passed the grand houses of Montague Square, their windows blacked out, their white stucco reflecting the beam of her flashlight. At the end of the square was a squat air raid shelter, a dank structure of brick and concrete, damp, musty, cold. It's inconceivable that Evelyn would have entered such a dark and squalid place willingly when she was just minutes from the safety of the Three Arts Club. But whether by force or by deception, enter that freezing shelter she did.
Bad Women, The Blackout Ripper is hosted by me, Hallie Rubenhold. And me, Alice Fiennes. It was written and produced by Alice Fiennes and Ryan Dilley, with additional support from Courtney Garino and Arthur Gompertz. Kate Healy of Oakwood Family Trees aided us with genealogical research. Pascal Wise sound designed and mixed the show and composed all the original music. The show was recorded at Wardour Studios by David Smith and Tom Berry. You also heard the voice talents of Ben Crow, David Glover, Melanie Guttridge, Stella Harford, Gemma Saunders and Rufus Wright. Much of the music you heard was performed by Ed Gocken, Ross Hughes, Christian Miller and Marcus Penrose. They were recorded by Nick Taylor at Porcupine Studios. Pushkin's Ben Tolliday mixed the tracks. And you heard additional piano playing by the great Barry Wise. Hi, Barry. The show also wouldn't have been possible without the work of Jacob Weisberg, Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, Maggie Taylor, Nicole Morano, Eric Sandler and Daniela Lucan. We'd also like to thank Michael Buchanan-Dunn of the Murder Mile podcast, Lizzie McCarroll, Catherine Walker at the Royal Pharmaceutical Society and the Earby Historical Society. Bad Women is a production of Pushkin Industries. Please rate and review the show and spread the word about what we do. And thanks for listening. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry and me. I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.